Welcome to our Queen Things mini season holiday special. I'm your host, Gloria Mangi. After such a positive response from season one, we want to say thank you and give you a throne room special where we have a heart to heart conversation with some incredible souls and minds. Today's queen has been featured on The Real, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, Elle Magazine, Essence Magazine, Ebony Magazine, I mean, just to name a few. Delali Potsu is the co-founder of Onyx, which is the first ever online, all-in-one beauty destination for women of color. Delali grew Onyx from a startup to $2.5 million in sales in less than four years and has worked with internationally acclaimed brands like Estee Lauder, Sol de Janeiro, and Revlon. So queens and kings... Follow me as we make our way into the throne room. Step into the throne room with your host, Gloria Mangi. So, Ms. Dilali Pozzo, can you please tell me a little bit about your childhood? Where in Ghana did you grow up? Um, so, I was uh, born in Accra, and uh, I actually only lived in Accra until I was about two years old. My family moved a lot, and so we lived in Europe for a while and in Canada before moving to the U.S. Oh, wow. So you lived in a broad range of places. What was your favorite place? Um, Well, that kind of depends on the place that I remember, right? (laughs) Uh I did a lot of moving before the age of 12, so some of the early stuff I Uh don't have a lot of thoughts on. Got you, got you. um, But, you know, I do remember growing up in Canada, Uh and that was really lovely. I actually really enjoyed it. Would you say that there are any major differences in terms of culture, in terms of experience between the U.S. and Canada for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, one of the first and obvious things was my accent. I had a little bit of a Canadian accent when I moved here as a kid. Uh Um, But, you know, the U.S. was just felt much bigger. It also felt much bigger culturally. Mm -hmm. Um, Canada felt really quaint and cozy. Um, And moving to California was kind of an eye opener. There was so much more going on. And so it was a big transition. And so what did you know or understand about your African heritage or culture when you were young and how it integrated with being a black woman in America now? Um, Well, I mean, you know, I was born in Ghana. Both of my parents uh, were born and grew up mostly in Ghana and in Togo. So there was, you know, we were very much still um, sort of honoring a lot of our traditions from home. And things like that. So I grew up with a lot of respect for the culture that I came from. Um, But I did understand once I moved to the United States that there were a lot of ideas about uh, what life in Africa was like um, for a lot of people who hadn't traveled much or hadn't met many Africans before. So, you know, there was a bit of an adjustment period and kind of understanding that where I was from was part of my story and was a really positive and exciting thing. 
Because obviously when you're a kid and you move to a new place, first of all, you're the new kid. And then secondly, it's like, is there anything else that's different about you? Um, so that kind of can be a challenge sometimes. But ultimately, um, being an African woman and now, you know, living in America and being an American woman are all one and the same for me in terms of how I conduct myself, how I live my life, how I view myself. Or what and how did that influence what you wanted to be when when you were younger? Um, so obviously there was a lot of pressure to, you know, kind of go down one of those paths and, and but ultimately really just choose something that was stable um, and something that was like, you know, sure. Um, obviously as immigrants, your parents are always going to worry um, that you're going to struggle, you know, that you're coming in at a disadvantage because you're not a native. Um, so they always want uh, you to do something that is going to set you up and be, you know, stable and predictable and uh, and manageable. Um, so that was kind of, there was some influence and some push kind of to do that. To do that. But at the same time, my mother, who's a very, very creative person, um, very much has a very strong design sense and an artistic sense um, was a huge supporter of mine once I decided that I wanted to take an alternative path, um, which was uh, fairly early on. Um, How so early sure on was, was that? Old. Oh, um, in high school. Okay. In high school, I, I really wanted to work in the film industry, which is uh, where I actually started my career. Um, and I know she was holding a candle for me to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> And so did both your parents, because uh, you said your mother supported you in that, how how did your father take it? Was that something that he was also like, you know what, go for it? Or was he hesitant to for you to pursue a field that, you know, a lot of parents in the, in the African world see as something that's more of a hobby than a career? Right. I mean, you know, to be completely honest, I was a bit of a strong-minded kid, and okay. so when I went to uh, college, I went to USC um, and I wanted to major in film studies and critical film studies. And they supported that because ultimately I was still at USC and I could always go to law school later. <laughs> <laughs> True. So what made you decide to work in this field in the film industry? Uh, I really loved the movies. I really loved storytelling. I really loved how the movies could touch uh, could touch you, how they could, you know, inspire things in you, motivate you. It, it's, it was just a beautiful creative canvas. Um, and I was really, really drawn to it. Where did you suspect your career would go from, from there? What was your so dream? I imagined when I first, uh, pursued it, I imagined that, um, you know, I was going to become a movie director Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I went to college, I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And when I re-entered the workforce in a more meaningful way, and I was still, I went back to entertainment, I went to the business side because I had just come from business school. So I thought that going to the business side would be actually a stronger and smarter uh, decision for me. Did that turn out to be true? Um, in a way, I mean, it definitely taught me a lot and it was kind of my first opportunity to understand how to, you know, uh, manage clients, how to sort of run a mini business. Um, but while I was working in that field is when I was inspired to start 
um, the Onyx box and to start We Are Onyx. And that took me in a completely different direction um, that I am so glad that I took, but had never, ever been on my radar before. Can you tell me a little bit more about starting Onyx and why the name Onyx? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, when I was 30 years old, I realized that I didn't know how to wash my own hair. And I realized it because I had a hair appointment to get my hair washed and blown out after I'd taken my braids down on a Friday. I was supposed to go and see a stylist on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I was going to go back to um, the uh, amazing Senegalese braider who always, you know, Mm -hmm. hooked me up. And on Saturday morning, like, you know, as I was about to step into the car, I got a message that my stylist had a flat tire and she wasn't coming in. And it was in that moment when I couldn't find any other stylist to do my hair that I realized that I genuinely didn't know how to do it myself. I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the product, and I didn't know the technique. And it hit me, obviously, and I had to solve that problem in the moment. But the bigger takeaway was that I realized that around the time that I was about 12 or 13 years old, when my mom stopped doing my hair because, you know, she was over it, um, I was transitioned to a stylist and I essentially never left. So I had always had someone else managing the hair that was growing out of the top of my head to the point where I had no skills and no tools to be able to do it myself if I had to. And that realization hit me when I was 30. And um, further to the point, it just reiterated that there was a massive disconnect that I had with my own body. And that was a problem for me. And so as I started to talk to other women, I realized that there was a real opportunity here to educate Um, black women on how to manage their beauty, not just their hair, but their skincare, their makeup, um, and also to give them access to those products and give them access to the techniques. Um, This was right at the beginning of the natural hair movement. So there weren't as many resources as there are now. And there also uh, wasn't this kind of access to product you know now I can go down to Walgreens and pick up Shea Moisture at that point I couldn't do that Um, I needed to even get someone else to tell me what Shea Moisture was so that maybe I could go look it up online you know that's how fragmented the space was for us Um, so you know in having that realization I coupled it with research which very quickly made it clear to me that black women were spending three times more than every other woman on hair care, skin care, and makeup every single year. We alone represent seven and a half billion dollars in beauty spend. And yet, I was still struggling to find my foundation shade. If I did, I had to buy 10 because it might not be there again. Um, And you know, those two things were a clear conflict for me. Um, And ultimately, I personally needed the help. I needed the products. I needed the technique. And it didn't exist out there. And so that's where the idea of Onyx came from. Um, And we chose the name Onyx because, you know, for a lot of people, Onyx, uh, people think Onyx is a black stone. And Onyx actually is a stone that comes in a myriad of colors in the brown tones. Um, And it can represent itself in a lot of different brown shades. And we really loved that idea that this one very powerful stone with such a strong name um, 
was encapsulating of so many different brown tones and network and that family that we wanted to build. And that's why we chose that name. Okay. Congratulations on such an innovative idea. Thank you. As I understand it, it was a boyfriend that connected you with uh, your business partner. Yes. Yeah. So they had gone to graduate school together. Okay. And so where's the boyfriend? If we may know. He is now the fiance. <laughs> ah, sweet. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> it's holiday season all over the world, and we wanted to crown our listeners with royal rags. We wanted to create merchandise that fits the woman connected to the continent and can financially contribute to the needs of pan-African young women and girls. That is why we have decided to donate a portion of proceeds to North Star Fund's Let Us Breathe grant that is investing in economic opportunities and racial justice in black communities. Visit www.tspring.com forward slash stores forward slash AQP to pick up a few additions to your closet and kitchen. That is www.tee S-P-R-I-N-G dot com forward slash S-T-O-R-E-S forward slash A-Q-P. Step into the throne room with your host, Gloria Mangi. In a post-Fenty beauty world, it feels like every makeup brand is stepping it up with more foundation shades, shadows with better color payoff, and nude lipsticks that will actually match all tones. However... That wasn't always the reality for consumers. Just what was the response in terms of the consumers that learned about Onyx? Like, was it a positive response? Were you getting people that were like, oh my gosh, we need this? Because I'm thinking that already in my head. Like, this definitely is something that is integral for every black woman or woman of color that at some point or the other has struggled to find something that lined up with what they needed in terms of the beauty regime. Yeah, you know, we had a very strong response from the beginning. A lot of uh, positive messages came to us right away. People were enthusiastic. They were excited. They wanted to see where we would go. And for a lot of the subscribers who have stuck with us since the beginning, it has been an incredible journey to see our progress. Um, but we have we have been so, so blessed to have such a supportive community who really has championed our, our company and championed our product and helps us to make it better every single month. Talking a little bit about the entrepreneur side, because being an entrepreneur can be very scary. Uh, yeah. Starting a new business, just even if it's a great idea, the reality of, reality of it may not always be as great as you imagine in your mind. Was it like that for you? Yeah, you know what? I didn't have much of a heads up of what to expect. Um, and I didn't even know to ask. Uh, this was, you know, starting a, a, a company was never in my plan. It all just kind of happened. So I didn't know what types of questions to ask at the beginning. And uh, so as things started to happen, you know, getting opportunities, having people let you down, how, figuring out how to hire employees, figuring out how to, um, you know, expand your team, making strategic plans, raising money, all of this stuff we learned on the job. 
like so when was it that you transitioned into being a full-time entrepreneur what does that look like yeah so initially um i was you know doing both jobs at the same time i had a full-time job and uh we were sort of in the nascent planning stages and prep stages of onyx for about six months um so i was doing it after work on the weekends on my lunch break you know having conversations setting up meetings things like that um but for the most part i you know it was my side hustle for sure um about six to seven months in we got to a place with the business where it was clear that we needed to go full time we needed to commit ourselves completely to it if it was going to get to the next level and uh that's when we uh both quit our full-time jobs and went ahead did you tell your parents about this were your parents just as excited about you venturing into this new business idea i did not oh. i didn't tell them until i had given my two weeks notice at my job and the reason why i didn't tell them is because i wanted to be able to make the decision on my own Um I knew it was going to be a huge decision and if it was going to be a failure I wanted it to be my decision and if it was going to be a success I wanted it to be my decision. And I so uh I made that decision on my own and after I'd given my 2 weeks notice at my full-time job that's when I told my parents. Um and they were very supportive um and have continued to be extremely supportive. Growing up, what did you know when it came to beauty for brown girls and your skincare? Uh, what did I know? I knew that it was hard. That's all I knew. <laughs> <laughs> so um, define okay. hard. So imagine somebody's listening is yeah. like, "What do you mean it's hard for a brown girl and beauty yeah, and skincare?" Absolutely, absolutely. So exactly what I mean by that is everything about my experience in beauty for a very long time essentially reinforced to me that beauty for black women darker skinned women women with kinky hair was going to be a struggle and was always going to be a struggle um i you know everything about the experience reinforced to me that i didn't belong in the beauty community and that my beauty kind of was tangential so when i would find a foundation if i could find a foundation that was even vaguely in my skin tone. I had to buy 6 of them because if you came back the next week they might be gone and never restocked. Um you I got really used to the idea that my shade was quote unquote discontinued. Oh. That used to be a very very common response when you would go back to a beauty counter looking for a foundation that you had purchased 6 months before how has it changed your experience when it comes to beauty overall um now i recognize that there is so much more out there for us um i still obviously need to educate um our subscribers and our community um around new and innovative products that are actually addressing some of our specific needs um and encourage people to explore beyond the brands that they know and discover new brands and likewise i'm also still you know preaching this story and this message to potential brand partners and to other brands who are still trying to figure out how to speak to our consumer in a way that's meaningful and authentic and uh and coming from a loving place. So just kind of I know you kind of maybe touched a little bit on this but what changes are you seeing in the industry as a business owner and as a consumer when it comes to brown girls? 
Um, I am seeing a lot more brands trying to uh, reach us, trying to make an effort with us, um, trying to address some of the concerns that customers uh, may have with certain types of products or how they work, um, you know, things of that nature. That has been really exciting to see. The brands are really starting to understand that this consumer is meaningful, has a lot to say, has a lot to share, and deserves to be part of the conversation. And so did anyone in the press think that this was a bad idea? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. Um, I'll be honest. When mm -hmm. we went out to uh, New York, um, when we first, first started, honestly, before we even had a box, we literally only had an image of what the box was going to look like. We went to a number of magazines. We went to Lucky Magazine. We went to O Magazine. We went to Cosmo, Glamour, Elle, Essence. It was amazing. Everybody was excited. Everybody wow. was absolutely thrilled and was so supportive of us. It, uh, you know, even the PR company we were working with at the time, they said they had never seen so many in the room commitments to write about us before. Um, we had a lot of support and a lot of understanding right from the beginning. We were very lucky. So hearing no, because in women, especially black women, we hear no a lot in oh, general. We hear no a lot, right, right. yes. So how um, should we be taking this response? Right. So, I mean, specifically when we went out to investors and we started to pitch investors, um, one of the very first things that we realized as we began our pitch was that you could see the interest kind of evaporate <laughs> from oh. their eyes when you start talking about makeup and you start talking about women and you start talking about black women. You know, those three things were like, you know, the death knell. Mm -hmm. um, no investor wanted to hear that. So our new strategy was we knew what their um, responses in general were going to be, given that we were talking about an audience that almost nine times out of 10 was not represented in the room of investors, right? So most investors we spoke to were men. Uh, most investors we spoke to were white men. And so they didn't have any understanding of, um, you know, the history behind beauty and skincare and cosmetics for women of color in the United States, why we have been experiencing the things we have been experiencing, um, why we feel the way we do, why we spend so much. They didn't have any kind of context for that. And so what we decided to do was we decided to lead with all of those concerns we addressed those things right up front so that they understood that we understood where they were coming from. And then we laid out the simple numbers and really focused on this is the, the size of this demographic in the United States. It's only growing. This is how much they spend annually in the United States. It is 80% more than everything any other demographic spends on hair, skin, and makeup. And then we would ask, how much do you think your wife spent last month on hair, skin, or makeup product? And suddenly their eyeballs would get really wide because they would realize, well, given what she spends, if there are women out there who spend three times more than her, this is a huge opportunity. So you personalize the pitch to make them identify with the situation. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. Kind of just jumping onto a different question over here. How does competition fuel you or concern you? 
in this entrepreneurial journey that you're on? Um, competition, for the most part, is motivational. Um, but another important thing that I came to understand is that um, you know being competitive should really only be used in the direction of motivation, and not in the direction of you know making business decisions. Um, based on what your competition is doing, without fully vetting the ideas yourself, um, it shouldn't be anxiety-inducing. Right. Um, it really should be motivational. You've already built a successful business. You've gotten this amazing response. What does Onyx look like five years from now, and what can we expect from the platform next? So you know we have really big dreams for the brand.、Um, we are working on a couple of things, so hopefully we'll be able to announce that very soon.、Um, but you know, Onyx is a community,、um, even more than it is a product, a physical product. And I think that community is growing at a tremendous rate, and that community's voice is becoming more and more powerful and more and more important. And、uh, I'm hoping that we are able to leverage that voice for even better opportunities, even better product, even better access、um, in、uh, in the future. Okay. In the interest of self love and the beauty of the Black woman, what does the word queen mean to you? Ah,、uh, queen means pride. Queen means grace,、um, ownership, self determination. Um, it is、uh, self-acceptance, the ultimate level of self-acceptance and self-confidence. But it's also gratitude. It's also humility. It's also patience. It's also balance.、Um, I think queen is a very, very powerful concept, and that's why we we only bestow that title on very few people.、Um, but the reality is. You can be a queen at any stage in your progress.、Um, you can strive towards becoming a better person while still being a queen.、Yeah. And、uh, I think it's a very aspirational and motivational idea、um, that every woman deserves deserves to be able、it. to engage with. Wow, powerful! Absolutely love it. After I'd spoken to Dilali for this interview. She has since left Onyx to pursue other passions, and she's now head of marketing at Thrive Cosmetics. But she let us know what it took to build and create a brand like Onyx. I mean, I think I just want to add that you know, building Onyx has been a huge honor for me.、Um, I realized that it was it was a gift that was given to me. It was a divine gift that was given to me. Um, I feel very much、uh, in gratitude to every single subscriber who has ever、um, given us a chance and believed in us, and continues to do so, and will do so in the future. And、um, I, I would definitely want to add that, you know, this was never in my personal plan for myself. And if I had listened to all of the doubts and all of the fears that I had around. Um, starting this business, I would never be here even giving this interview,、um, and I would say that to say that you know we do have to scrutinize the stories we tell ourselves about what we are capable of and what we are not capable of, 
and validate whether that's true or not, because we're constantly evolving. And if you are motivated and if you are self-confident and if you are driven, anything is possible. Genuinely so. Wow. Wow. It's holiday season all over the world, and we wanted to crown our listeners with royal rags. We wanted to create merchandise that fits the woman connected to the continent and can financially contribute to the needs of pan-African young women and girls. That is why we have decided to donate a portion of proceeds to North Star Fund's Let Us Breathe grant that is investing in economic opportunities and racial justice in black communities. Visit www.tspring.com forward slash stores forward slash AQP to pick up a few additions to your closet and kitchen. That is www.teespring.com forward slash S-T-O-R-E-S forward slash AQP. Thanks for listening to Queen Things with Gloria Mangi. This podcast is a show from the award-winning organization African Queens Project, which you can visit at www.africanqueensproject.org to catch up on the latest news, interviews, and content of inspirational women who are taking the world by storm. I'm your host, Gloria Mangi. This show was produced by Ngazi Ahanotu with music from Rock Angel by Joachim Karud, Cloudy by Kadamwa, Underneath the Christmas Tree by Mayu, Somewhere Nature by Simon Moore. Season one of Queen Things is available anywhere you listen to podcasts.